1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. My name is still Dave. I am here with new friend Carlos Navarro, who, as you uh, Google Carlos Navarro, if you don't know him already, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I actually know this guy. Because you have (laughs) seen him in so many stinking things. He is uh, one of the bad guys in the hit Marvel streaming series, Hawkeye. He's been in The Walking Dead. He's been in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I love him in a sequence of identity theft that is one of my favorite minute-long sequences with Jason Bateman of all time. But the story with my friend Carlos is one of going from mugshot to Marvel, of a redemption story, of having made some choices that maybe weren't the best choices and deciding to do the work to climb back up, dig deeper, both spiritually, intellectually, put in the work, and actually um, turn something of a life around. And as a person who's chosen sobriety, seven years sober, as a person who has really worked on building that inner stuff that you need to overcome whatever it is that you've been through to create the kind of life that you want, man, I am interested in learning from him as I hope that you will learn from him as well. Without further ado, Please welcome my friend, Carlos Navarro to the Rise Together podcast. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're gonna hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest, who's had a different life experience. In all of it, We are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together.
2: Hello, brother. Oh my gosh! Thank you for that thoughtful, kind intro, my friend. I this I, I have an immediate connection to you. I know people are like, oh, here we go, woo, 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 but like immediately, dude. And uh, and I really appreciate that
1: very kind, kind intro. And I'm so glad
2: to be here to uh, to toss it up, man. You know.
1: Well, what's interesting is you know, like I, I mean, I love getting to sit here and chop it up with people, especially people that I'm just getting to know. But there are so many things in your story that I personally connect to, that I relate to. Yep, we're parents. Yep, we're working on our sobriety. Yep, yes. uh, we are interested in becoming better versions of ourselves, even if we can also hold space for the fact that we weren't always the best version of ourselves. <laughs> and you also happen to work with some marvel human beings. A thing that I have done in my past. You work inside of radio, a thing that I have done in my past. Like, man, there's just some cool stuff. So. Uh, I thought we would just dive in and have something more of a conversation of that journey, of redemption, of what it is to try and uh, continue to become a better version of yourself and all the things. But uh, before we get too far, I gave a little bit of a tee up of who you are. But rather than me trying to tell people about you, would you just give a little bit of your own story? At 41 now, you've seen some things, you've been through some things. (laughs) Tell us the story of Carlos Navarro and how you have become who you've become.
2: Thank you. I, you know, what a, what a, what a way to start off. I can all I think of is a story of redemption. This is a like, I'm a story of redemption. I screwed up and lost everything as bad as you possibly can all with my own doing. And through a lot of ownership, through a lot of despair, humility, hum, being humbled, being literally spit on, Like this guy say it and it's like gross. But putting in the work and 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 thankfully finding somebody that believed in me that said, "Hey, wait a second, you're not all bad here. I know you. I know you've messed up. I know you are in a low place, but that's not you. You're just not at your standard yet. You have no standard. And and so I think that's the story. And and so I, I always, you know, we kind of talked about it. it's like it's like hope, man, because I I see people who haven't messed up nearly as much as I have, and they've given up on themselves. And it takes one person to go, don't give up on yourself. I messed up worse than you. And and it's powerful, man. It can fuel you for a day, it can fuel you for a lifetime. One person, one person you know or a random stranger in Publix can fuel you.
1: And so yeah. I'm always about that life. So I know you've been through some high highs and some low lows. I, I wanna start with the low lows because I think it's important to establish what you've been through and what you've overcome so we can celebrate the high highs you're self-described as being broken, jobless, self-destructive, drinking too much, partying too hard. You are the uh, owner of three mugshots. You've landed in jail after an infamous onstage fight back in 2006 with a radio colleague. Who fights with their colleagues? (laughs) What what, kind of what was happening in your life that was complicit in some of the decisions that were being made? Was, Was it a byproduct of some childhood stuff? Was it a function of self-love? Like what was happening in the midst of the low that let the low present? It was a
2: mixed bag of all that. It was a mixed bag of I was a victim because I grew up with an alcoholic mom and an addicted mom that mentally abused me and I deserve, I de- I'm i the victim. That was the first part. And then you mix it in with ego. I was a superstar radio guy when before social media, as you know, it was radio, TV, TV, like m- 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 newspaper, and that's it. And we were a huge, and still are a very huge show. So I was given fame. Ooh, then you sprinkle that in, right? And then you sprinkle in that I really was, most of the time, a lot of fun, except when you piss me off. Mm. And boy, did all those years of trauma and victimhood, and I don't, da, 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 boom! and I And I was my worst own enemy. And so I, the, the lowest part was losing my radio job, being arrested on a felony charge, about to be married, bankrupt, uh, losing any type of credibility, and having c- nothing, but hope that, oh man, this ain't my best version of myself. Coincidentally, The Secret was kind of, I mean, it was a book that a lot of people at that time really found. And, and, and I always wasn't to self-help. I was never, I was always manifesting things. I was always thinking about it. Things came to me easily. That was another problem. I was 17 years old. I became this radio dude. So I didn't know what, I wasn't not trying to be grateful, but I didn't know any different. A lot of social media influencers today have that, you know, they're famous since they're like seven. They don't know what it's like to not be famous, to go down the street, have a cup of coffee, try and talk to a girl that don't know you're a millionaire. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think I was in a really weird time. And and I had that moment when I was facing that charge, that felony charge where I needed, I just said, all right, I'm going to be as proactive as I could possibly be. I'm quitting alcohol before the judge tells me. I'm going to AA. I'm taking the ownership. I'm not being a victim anymore. I'm letting go of the hate with my mom. I'm letting go of the hate that I have with everybody. And I'm going to use my emotions as a sniper gun, as opposed to a shotgun, bah, bah, bah. And that's when
1: my life changed. So it's around 2007, if the timeline yeah. is correct, where you, yeah. you start to make this shift. It's interesting because I spent about 20 years inside of entertainment. I've had some success in entrepreneurship. And the last couple of years, in the aftermath of divorce, and the aftermath of me just getting in my own, own way over and over, leaning back on some bad coping mechanisms and alcohol, and then deciding to go to treatment and a whole host of things.
2: I get it. I get it.
1: It, it has been, I think, hard for me as someone who always could see this connection between working hard and achievement to have had some of what I now have kind of attributed to myself as like my own mistakes, my own weaknesses, my own giving into my vices, whatever it might be. And it's been harder for me in recent times to not have part of my identity, the mistakes, like that I am my mistakes. And so I'm curious as you make this shift, right? You've been through a whole bunch of stuff. You've had success. Now the success has been compromised by decisions that you've made. How do you divorce yourself from not, you know, kind of embodying the mistake as a part of who you are and what you are so that you can be free and move forward into something better?
2: That's a great question because you could, you could live your whole life beating yourself up because you could live your whole life reliving that mistake. I thankfully had a very good self-confidence in the fact that I had a parent, even though my mom had her troubles. She was like, you, honey, are going to be a star. You're going to be a Robin Williams. You're going to be, she always, and then she had her issues. So I had this weird balance of at least having a secure confidence going into this treacherous period. If I didn't, maybe I would have fallen apart, but I Mm -hmm. believed in myself and I said, all right, I need to be better than the guy I was yesterday. That little 5% better. Number one issue, drinking. That has been, and when I look back, first time I got arrested, 15 years old, what was I doing? Drinking. Next time I got arrested when I was 20 years old, what was I doing? Drinking. Last time, okay. I've never been arrested when I was sober. Hmm, there seems to be a connection, (laughs) you know, like. Yeah. And then I went, so I always had a belief in myself, and then I had my wife, and still do to this day, thankfully, that never buckled. She never looked at me and said like, you're a loser now, you know, like in an emotional state. You're never gonna be an actor. You know, Dave, I had no bookings yet. I did not, I hadn't booked anything yet in the acting world when I got arrested. And I was like, I'm gonna be an actor. It's like, yeah, buddy, what are you gonna do? Manifest it while you sit on your ass at the house, you know, waiting for auditions to come in, papi? Give me a break. I had no plan. I had no ownership. I was living my life indiscriminately. And then when I got, boom, hit in the freaking face by life and money and had to put everything up and plead to a judge. That's what I tell people. If you ever have to plead to a judge for your life, everything else comes secondhand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so real.
2: <laughs> so real. <laughs> everything else. Like, that's my barometer, Dave. That's like I, I go through crap like anybody else. Marriage stuff, kids stuff, my own. I blew out my knee coaching my daughter's softball game yesterday, Dave. I'm getting older. But you know what? It ain't little Carl. I say little Carlos, 27-year-old Carlos facing the judge, and the judge goes. I'm considering whether or not to give you a felony right now. Yeah. I'm good other than that. You take me back to that spot. That means I messed up. And I did mess up again. I did go, I did drink again. I did almost mess it up. And the universe and God and my wife goes, Here you go, dude. We said yeah. you could have a, a couple beers, but you started drinking the shots. We said you could have a couple glasses of wine, but you started drinking the liquor. That's you, Carlos. That's you, Dave, right?
0: That's you, yeah. Dave, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Let's talk about sobriety for a sec. Cause you're now seven years in. Yeah. I'm like nine months in nine. Oh, wow. Nine, nine point six months in, right? Like I'm, Is that I'm always, in. had you always had that? Is this like, did you, did you come, did you stumble back or how did that work? So, I mean, like I've had a, I've had a relationship with alcohol that always seemed to tip into unhealthiness when the let's go out and have some fun was giving way to, I'm going to drink privately to not have to feel,
0: right? Ooh. Like to me, there were two
1: kinds of drinking. And sure. the social drinking, I was fine with. Like I wouldn't drink mm. to, you know, excess or, or blackout or or anything that felt like it was compromising my integrity or my, my family or anything else. But the drinking that I would do when I didn't want to feel, wow. that was done in private and that was the source of shame. And wow. so there were times in certainly the last three or four years for sure, where I could identify, oh, shoot, I've tipped into that kind of drinking. And I don't like myself when I'm by myself, when I'm the one who knows the thing that I am up to in not wanting to have to deal with what it is to be in this marriage, be in this business, do this, whatever it was. And so in 2019, I'd made this declaration. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna stop drinking for a year just to show myself that I can. I was in the midst of writing my first book. I was super wow. triggered by the idea of putting myself out there. I was drinking to not feel those <laughs> emotions, and then I decided to stop drinking. And the the ability of stopping drinking was good, but I came two years later to appreciate that there's a massive difference between abstinence and recovery. There's a big difference between abstinence and like true sobriety. And so in the aftermath of my second book coming out, I I really had a hard time with the way that I'd put so much weight on it being something that would affirm my worthiness when it didn't sell as much mm. as that first, that uh, man, I started drinking in private a lot to not have to deal with the feelings of unworthiness. And in a crazy way, it turned out to be something of a blessing because it brought me to a bottom. It brought me to a place where I actually- What was, was, like, was your oh, bottom? Lord just knowing it it was a new year. I drank too much over this week between Christmas and new year, where I didn't have my kids on Christmas for the first time in my entire life as a Ah. father. And I just had this recognition like, Oh, I am actually going to burn every single thing that means anything in my life down if I continue to drink. And so I made the choice to jump, to jump into treatment. One of the, I mean, just the greatest decision arguably of my adult life, but it, in, in so many ways, like, drinking was a symptom of unprocessed stuff that I was running away no from, and treatment was the invitation to kind of turn around and walk toward that in a way that helped me appreciate the role that alcohol was playing. My question, though, sorry, like, I, I'm interested, though, I love in your this. experience no. in this, too, because you know, nine months in, they talk about, like, the cloud that you had, like, the Pink cloud where you choose sobriety, you get surrounded by sober friends, you've got a system, whether it's in meetings or anything else that has you feeling good and good I've felt. But I'm curious if there's a difference in the first year versus the second year versus the fifth year versus now your seventh year in your own journey. Has it been easier, harder? Is it intermittent? Is it linear or not linear in how you approach sobriety or think about staying sober in your life. Well, I, I give you credit because the type of
2: a adi- the type of reason you quit is probably the most difficult in the comfort of your own home. Nobody knows. You know, mine was very public. Mine was who I was. Like if you ask people who Carlos was, that's a party guy, he's a drinker. It was my identity. That was my identity until I quit. Like I was, yeah. and I saw myself as that guy. I couldn't see myself as not being the wildest, funny, crazy guy, because I grew up as a little Hispanic kid speaking Spanish with my dad from Peru, my mom from Cuba, being super cool, but throwing parties till six in the morning. and Everybody who got the laugh got was the star of the party. You see him, Carlos over there, he's getting these laughing. That's Pedrito. That's my, you bet you, you be like your uncle, okay, you know? And so whether I knew it or not, that's what I thought was the coolest. And you know what? It really helped me. It really it got me in the store of this crazy radio show that if I was this little straight laced kind of kid they wouldn't have had me, but it kept going and going to a point of that I thought I guess I was invincible. So when I ch- stopped, it was my whole identity gone, friends gone, friends that were my friends. But then I realized, ah, oh, man, they're just going out with me to drink with me because I get yeah. them free drinks. Yeah, you, got, you found that out. Oh yeah, you know, long time friends. Dave, best friends. And that hurt. To this day, it hurts. But my goal was very tactical to quit drinking. Don't put myself in situations. My buddy Zig Dog, who's been there in the deepest, knows where the bodies are buried. If you know what I'm saying, my best man, yeah, you know. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm talking about. That dude that you call, you're like, where are you? And you're like, I need you. <laughs> Zig Dog's like, gave the best advice in a lot for a lot of different topics. And I and I give this to your listeners and to you as well. Carlos, don't put yourself in situations. It's like a dog, us men, man, especially us very alpha, agro, want the best, sick, we're animals, right? You ever see a dog that walks by a hot dog on them? like my I have a big ass, a uh, hundred pound Labradoodle. He ain't walking by a hot dog on a plate in the kitchen. He's eating it. He's not thinking about it. He's not second guessing. He's not, and he just ate, right? That's us as like super test, like that's us, right? So the discipline it takes To be at a bar with all your friends drinking and, you know, oh, I'm good. Give me a club soda, gentlemen. I ain't doing that. So, you know what I had to do? I had to erase all that shit, unfortunately. It was super hard. And luckily, my wife, my my fiance at the time was right there. And then I say this to people. I raised my standard. I didn't know I was doing that. But I was eliminating these negative things and then positive things. Oh, my God. I booked prison break. Oh my God! This and then the big one, Dave. You ready for this one? My wife looked at me when I really messed up, really messed up the second time after going back to drinking, and I was prime victim. You don't understand, slamming doors. My wife's looking at me. This, my daughter's four years old at the time. Okay, she wasn't even there, nothing. She's like, "I'm leaving you if you don't figure this out." She walked out the door. That was the last time I ever had a drink. Amazing. And she right before she left, she goes, the crazy thing is I've been trying to get on the Walking Dead for five years, Dave. Five years. And she goes, You quit drinking and the Walking Dead is gonna book you. And I'm like, you don't know that. <laughs> Three months later, they book me.
1: Unreal. Unreal. <laughs> Universe opens up when you make those choices, though.
2: Cause Dave, dude, what happens when I show to the Walking Dead premiere and there's top shelf liquor, top all you can drink. And Carlitos, that Carlitos shows up and I shot, <laughs> Everybody, hey, Rick, come over here, Carl, get a shot. And then I mess it all up. I mess it all up. You know what they knew me as? That's Carlos, man. When we walk my crew, our cast, we'd walk and get sushi after we shoot. And we sit down at the Japanese. We love this place. And they, the first drink they would order is the Oduls for me. That's the kind of people that you meet when you raise your standard.
1: That's good. Especially, too, when you have a willingness to share the whole of your experience and the reason behind the decisions that you're making. That's been huge for me. There was so much shame in drinking that I didn't love having to confess necessarily that it had power at all in my life or that I in some ways was powerless from some of how it could take care of not having to feel or mute the stuff I didn't like to have to face. And once I started talking about it, it changed fundamentally the way that I could turn this thing that had been the greatest source of shame into something of power because of just acknowledging it, bringing it out into the light. But then also I couldn't do it alone a thing that I, for years, convinced myself, like, I can do it, I'm I'm strong, look how much I've already done on my own. <laughs> and it wasn't until I was like, all right, I gotta raise my hand here, I am actually drowning, and someone is right here next to me with a life jacket, there's another person right here next to me with a raft, there's a person next to that person with a boat, and I, because of pride, or because of ego, am convincing myself that I can tread water for the rest of my life, and I also, by the way, keep taking Sandbags, and I'm just like, let me see if I could tread some water with a sandbag now. Like, <laughs> don't be an idiot. Just talk about it and be okay with it. Everybody's got a thing, and the second I, I like was okay with getting help, guess what happened? I got help, and I felt better. And I um, and I think one of the things too, I, I just I was just having a conversation about this. Like, I could not have appreciated the power of how much I needed to be able to really show all of who I am, including the parts I'm still working on or have shame for, and be loved by people who could appreciate my human experience. Yeah, And it wasn't until I was really honest about kind of what I was working through that I had other people like, oh yeah, I've had that experience and I'm still a good person and I'm still working on it every day and you're still a good person and you're still working on it every day. And in a crazy way, just like kind of honoring that part of me that I didn't necessarily like, and I'm still every day having to work on, it allowed me to love myself because it's a part of who I am, totally. which, is a, which is a rad thing, a hard thing, but a rad thing.
2: Yeah. It, what you're saying is courage, right? What you're saying, it, there's never a vulnerability without courage. And yeah. and people don't want to share these things. And and my wife goes with it as well. She has her own insecurity. She has her own things and she has her own following and stuff. And so, She goes, oh, should I share this with people? Because I'm very open. I feel it's my moral obligation to share this because I got, I'm alive. I should be dead. Like my life, I should be dead or in jail. And it's almost like the universe, God, whoever you want to believe in is like, man, now you have a moral obligation to share this story so that people who really don't deserve, who can't actually make it through what you made it through, don't have to go through that.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it is it is about hope. There's there's this great Les Brown quote. I've quoted it a thousand times. But hope, is, hope in the future is power in the present. Right. Like if if you can be around someone else who maybe even lets you borrow some hope for a second, it gives you something in the 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 stuck and the muck and the shit that you're working through that lets you start taking steps out of it because of seeing something that just is a little bit better than where you're at today. And the absence of hope, man. That is that's a Ooh. sentence. So yeah, you getting know. around people or or yourself manufacturing something in hope. It's such an important thing. Let me ask you this: you got a motto, to the yes. top. What is to the top? And why is it a thing that you uh galvanize around? <laughs> so my
2: wife and I are saying is to the top, never stop. Boom, right? And we've been saying this before social media. Okay. Before like everybody's like, now everybody gotta now everybody gotta say it, right? Like, oh, that's what we did now. Oh, you know, I tweeted that. But like this was our personal back and forth. We had zero wins at that point. That time of that bankruptcy, the losing the jobs, we're getting married, we don't got any money. Zero wins. And I was like, I need to find a way to motivate my my, my just my wife and I. So I started researching great leaders. Teddy Roosevelt pops up. And the story about him climbing this mountain in a pair of moccasins and the moccasins ripping and him with another guy and they made it to the top. Right. And it's, and it's, and I can't even quote the exact whole thing, but I just remember him basically saying, there's nothing that's going to stop us. We must go to the top. And so I get home to my wife, like a little kid. And I'm like, I was working at EA sports. I was about to, (laughs) we can go deeper into why it was like, we need a win. And I was like, Babe, I think we should say this. Every time we're about to try something, okay? Because I was reading this thing about Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt's a good guy. You know, she's like, okay, okay. And I'm like, if we're going to go do something, we need, before we go, we need to go to the top. Like that. And she's like, give me that pause. And I was like, oh, she hates this. And she goes, never stop. And I'm like, boom, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our thing. Like people know us like my i've been fortunate dave that i got a that i've been on a very successful radio show so here in central florida i walk outside people love me because i've been on the radio for 20 freaking years right so so i'm anywhere to the top never stop to the and and guess what that's on my second half of my career when i left radio did acting when i came back i didn't want to be known as the the crazy alcoholic yeah so i i you know john Tesh. you you know john oh yeah and, and, and his style of radio, he always gave these real encouraging moments. And so I said, okay, I'm still going to be the crazy guy, but I'm going to bring that to the top and never stop feeling. That's that was a big game changer. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky
1: Having a conversation with Heidi, maybe about, I don't know, a year ago, but like she had hit something of a peak and was feeling um, at first like, man, this is taking a lot of energy to get to the top. I don't know, like, what am I supposed to do now? And it was a super simple thing, but like, it, it reminds me of your story, which is you're at the peak of where you've ever been, but the base of wherever you're going next of every other thing that's coming and there is there's something about this idea of getting to the top. In some ways, it reveals the peak that's behind the peak. Mm. And you have had, man, so many of these experiences where to the top, never stop. And then the never stop is also this invitation to just keep on going. I'm curious about acting because, one, you work on a Marvel show. I worked at myself at Disney for a long, long time. So there's just some fun in I've got a Feige Connect, you do, too what was the bug? What's the What was the thing? Have you always wanted to be an actor? Is this a thing that was born out of the DJing and now all of a sudden, like, what's next? But where does it come from? And and where do you, like, how do you go from where you are to where you want to go in acting? Because I have oh. no experience in acting. I don't want to be an actor, but I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm intrigued by the journey and where you think you find yourself in that kind of like peak and what's next. Oh, thank
2: you. Because yeah, this is such a kind of, really complicated question because i think if i knew even a little bit about what i know acting now i may have never even gone into professional acting because i would have been like you got to do what for how long with how many things are you great you know but i i went into it in a very kind of organic way i like i said spanish first language Grew up uh, in New York, moved over here. And movies were my everything. Steven Spielberg was my everything. I would take the tapes off the wall. Tapes, for those people who don't know, were little kind of rectangular things. You shoved in a thing called a VCR. VCR, for those who don't know, okay, we're going to be here all day. Okay, listen. I used to watch a bunch of movies. And I'd be like, and I was having a crazy life as a kid. And I would escape into E.T. And I would escape into Jaws. I didn't know that then. It wasn't until later that I realized, why was I obsessed with making movies? I was nine years old with a big old, you know, the video camera that cops runs with those big ones, like, you know, making little movies with my friends. And then I got in TV production. It was very much behind the scenes. I wanted to direct like Steven Spielberg. And then I dated this girl who uh, when my early 20s and she was in an acting class and i went to one of their acting class parties and if you've never been around a bunch of actors and you've been around radio people and radio people are kind of more hard nosed. like (laughs) it's like there's no emotions it's like hit the mark do this you know like and and you're busting balls acting people are like welcome oh my god and it's like everybody's who is this is this carlos is this your boyfriend oh my god everybody's so nice and i'm like what the f is going on and and I was like, this seems fun. <laughs> I was like, and so she goes, she got me the class for a, a gift, okay? And the t- and so the, t- the very first, I, everybody's sitting around like, I really want to be a freshman actor. What are you doing here? And I'm like, seems kind of fun. Y'all were talking about like, emotions and stuff. And, the, and then I do my first scene in class and the teacher who was as acting teacher as you can imagine, okay? Like think of like straight out of the casting central, right? Like yep. love, energy deepness, compassion, you know, like all this, you know? <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it because that's not, it, it, I loved it because i never really heard that before. And I did a scene from Basketball Diaries. And great, I, movie. And, and yep. great movie, yeah. Great movie. And I went back and she comes up to me, because she because all class, the whole semester, she's like, who's taking acting seriously? And I never raised my hand. I was, I was like, no, nah, I'm having fun. Da-da-da. And she goes back to me, and she to put her hand on my face, she goes, Carlos, you have a special gift. And you have to take this seriously. And I was like, all right, Yvonne, if you say so, I'll do it. <laughs> and that, Amazing. God rest her soul. God rest her soul. She. And I wouldn't have probably done it otherwise.
1: It's so, it's such a through line, though. I've met so many people who have a story about that one teacher, that one writing person, the like that they saw something in them that they couldn't see in themselves when they actually verbalized it planted a seed of belief in them and they just watered it until it actually sprouted that's so it's so good what was your uh, first what was your first role my first role well the, the the
2: the journey was pretty classic I never looked at anything too small I said all right I'm gonna look at it like a crew member let me yeah. start with student films then I'll go to uh independent films then I'll try and get a commercial. My first cool acting gig was the intro to Monday Night Football with Hank Williams Jr. Come on, yes. everybody, yes, on a Monday was. night. Yes, it was. I'm like on the street like that, you know? And then my first <laughs> big, big role, the one that was was really – was Prison Break, okay? And, and this was years into the game, okay? And the day I get fired from the radio show because I want to be an actor – I have my audition for Prison Break and I book it.
1: You horse-riding son of a gun, I've seen the <laughs> clip.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, it was Prison Break. I had to fly, I had to drive out. I mean, acting is a very weird industry. As you know, it's all movies and TV shows are little independent businesses that that basically report back to a big chain. Yeah. So, you know, you're you're basically like a salesman every time you walk into a new casting, you, you know, you build relationships, you build directors and know you build a castor, But at the end of the day, it's a collective unit that makes a a very relative pick about you. So you have to be tough because, man, they. when I got my first Walking Dead audition, I thought I was going to be next Rick Grimes. I thought was, I was like, look, of I'm course. next. I'm right there. Of course. And then five years later, I book it.
1: I I worked in talent management for a little bit. I started in public relations. Like I, I had shows for a while, but I I ended up having individual human beings that had a desire to go from call it C and D list to a list. Sometimes they thought that they were already at the A list when they were still in the, (laughs) but I, man, like the game and the grind and the hustle and the struggle, it's a, it's not a like, Oh, I had this great audition and all of a sudden I'm a regular on a series. like, it's a 1,000 auditions for a 100 small roles that give way to one meaningful kind of break over the course of a seven-year period, and that's – I don't think that people necessarily have an appreciation. Can I – this is going to be like a name drop kind of a thing, but can wow. I tell you a Steven Spielberg story real quick that I put Please. in my last book? So I had this crazy job at Disney where I put movies into theaters on behalf of the studio. We had this distribution agreement wow. with DreamWorks. And so for, un, I mean, like, why, Dave, would you ever be in a room with Steven Spielberg? It, it defies logic. It uh-huh. doesn't matter. He had this movie called Warhorse that came out. Of course. Very, very early on in me being this head of distribution. And I get a chance to see it early. And I didn't appreciate that part of the the rules are that you get to see it early. And then you have to call him and tell him what you think. Oh, my God. And so God. my boss... <laughs> Calls me after we've seen the movie. He says, "Don't forget to call Steven. And I'm like, "Of course." Oh and I hang up the God. phone and I'm like, "What are we even talking about?" I'm 36. I have no business even being in this chair. But yeah, sure, I'll go ahead and give him a call. So I give him a call and I oh, the cinematography! Like it's a World War One picture. It's beautiful. <laughs> I remember it's Oscar, it. Yeah, Oscar nominated. Ultimately, you know the the score. The the, the you know you, you're directing. It was impeccable. I just have one thing for me. And um, part of my job was where do we put the movie on a calendar so that we can make the most money? And wow. so we were looking at Christmas. It's a great like multi-generational viewing window. And so I'm thinking of, through the lens of like, how can we have as many people show up to the theater as possible? And there's a single sequence in the movie, beautifully shot, where two people in the troupe are deserting their squad. And through the sweeping windmill, the troop shoots the deserters in the back and Ooh. they fall dead. Serious thing, holy goodness. But there's also young boys frightened for their life leaving their troop that have now been killed. So, I said, you know, the only note that I would have is there's that one sequence where the kids they get shot and we're going to put it out at Christmas and you know, I want to make sure that younger kids can come out to see War Horse cuz it's a great movie and I just, you know, what do you think? Oh without missing oh a beat. I mean, like, without missing you're one second of a beat. You're giving Steven Spielberg an edit? The most ridiculous thing I've ever done in my life. Thank you very much for acknowledging it in real time. Without missing a beat, he says, you know, when I was doing the press tour for E.T., and I was like, oh, go ahead, Dave, sit back, because you're about to get schooled. He says, when I was doing the press tour for E.T., I was asked a question of why in that kitchen sequence, I allowed Elliot to say the words penis breath. And I'll tell you what, Dave, I had Elliot say the word penis breath in ET because that's what happens in families around the country every day. And I'm going to keep those soldiers getting shot in the back in my movie because that's what happens during war. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. I'll be under my desk for the rest of my life. If you need me, my mail's now being sent here. I hope you have a fantastic day. <laughs> Dude. Was it, there were, was it just you and him? Or were there other people on the call? Just just, just he and I. Just he and I. And I was like, okay, I don't know why. Uh, there was you know a what? moment where I thought that I ought to give notes to the most decorated and highest grossing director in the history of time. But uh, lesson learned, thanks for taking me to school, sir.
2: Day. He was a, He
1: was a gentleman about it too.
2: I'm so glad you told me that story. I just passed on that piece of advice to a friend. Oh really? Okay? Yes. Yeah, what he did to you? You know what he did to you? He schooled you like a gentleman. 100%. Right? And 100% and so my, a fr- a friend of mine has reached a level. She's a. It's a very bizarre job, but she's a gator conservationist. Her name is Savannah. She's a millions of followers on TikTok, all these places.
1: Are you speaking of like alligators, gator?
2: Yes. She works okay. at Gatorland. She's. I the, didn't even she, know this
1: was a thing. Keep
2: going. Exactly, and and most people don't. That's why she's so good. at She's a, a great friend of mine. And anyway, she was discussing. She and 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 I and I talked with her about life, and and she's like, you know, Carlos, I'm not. There's somebody I, that I know that is kind of, that. It, she's like, I was getting upset at them and I, and I didn't know why. They were just asking me to do something and they were acting like I didn't know. And I said, well, they're questioning your credibility and, you, and your credibility is your everything. And what you've done in the field, nobody can compare. And it's not that I've been doing this for this long, is that you've been to Australia and fed those gators. You've been to Singapore, you've been to Thailand. You've And this guy just started working here, but he doesn't know you. So what you say in a moment like this is you go, you know what? I know you're asking me to do this, but when, come over here, when I was in Thailand and they showed me how to actually prepare this meal. Oh, you've never been to Thailand. And you do it in a way that goes, Oh yeah. Um, I, I,
1: I, there are levels to this. Yeah. And, uh, but what a story man! Wow. Uh, no, I, the thing is, it was like one of those things too. I'd, I'd gotten the job, where I was meant to be an apprentice for another three years worth of time. And my predecessor decided to leave. And so I, you know, fire hydrant drinking jumped in. And this was one of the first movies I was working on without that predecessor over my, you know, kind of over my shoulder. But what a great thing to learn early on before I'm working with Kevin Feige or with John Lasseter, with, you know, like all of these people that are creative geniuses, like know your role. Respect that they have been around the block so many more times than you have, and that there's probably a way for you to represent what you think could commercially improve the chances of this film succeeding without it feeling like you've seen something that they maybe missed. Because I think that was, if nothing else, more the mistake in Uh, it all.
2: So you brought up Kevin Feige, and I have a small Kevin Feige story if you would like. Let's go. Okay, so... I'm going to guess that you hadn't thought about that. Obviously hadn't thought about meeting Steven Spielberg at that stage in your life, manifesting and all these different things. You weren't in that phase right No, you know? And, and so thankfully when I booked Hawkeye and I'm on set and I'm there for a long period of time, I'm already in this stage of my life where I'm, what I like to do is I like to sit beforehand and think of the moment that I want to happen. And the moment I wanted to happen was to meet Kevin Feige. Okay. And I, so and I'm a geek. Like, I'm not one of those people, like, celebrity doesn't bother me. Like, if I really like him, I'm like, man, when I work with Jason Bateman, I was like, dude, I'm the biggest fan. Man. You know, like I'm not cool like that. And then and then I'm vibe out or whatever. But I'm not the dude that's gonna play off like I don't know you. You yeah. know, especially if I am if I if I'm down with you. So anyway, so I knew. Well, Carlos, if you meet Kevin, you're going to lose your mind like a little girl. You're going to freak out. And they keep saying, Kevin's coming to set. And they love you guys. Kevin's coming to set. So you're going to be like, David. So I was like, well, let me just, what do I like when people meet me? I like it when people ask me about my projects. I like it when people ask me about the work. And then we can talk about it. So fast forward, shooting one of the scenes in Hawkeye where we're yelling to Hawkeye, Hey, bro, get
1: out of here,
2: you stupid idiot, bro. All this crazy stuff, right? Five in the morning, we turn around, we go back to our chairs, me and the other bros, and the producer goes, hey, Carlos, come over here. Kevin wants to meet you. And I turn around, and there's Kevin Feige. Yes, it is. And and thankfully... I had seen that exact moment in my head already. So my brain, as we know, knows no difference, right? It doesn't know whether you're doing it or manifesting it or thinking about it. It's all the same, you know, uh, system. And so luckily, the first thing I did, WandaVision was out Then, And I go, and Kevin goes, Carlos, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm like, you know my name. And (laughs) and then then he's like the tracksuit mafia. And at the time, I didn't know what they were going to do with the tracksuit mafia. I didn't know. And they blew it up. And, and I said, I got to ask you about WandaVision. And he's like, oh my gosh, thank you. It was two episodes in. We talked for 10 minutes about that amazing genre bending show. And it was one of the best 10 minutes. And I don't look back on it
1: going, oh, I should have done this because you were prepared. I- prepared. You were prepared. Well, you know, what's crazy. I mean, uh, number one, Kevin is one of the nicest people on the planet. He's also one of the most savvy and just creatively genius. but He's a modern day Spielberg. 100%. 100%. 100%. And he has an ability to find talent, empower talents, let them do their thing. But the thing I think he has the, the best kind of unfair advantage inside of the studio space of the creative world, I left Disney about five and a half years ago. And seven and a half years ago, I was in meetings with him about things that are coming out in theaters today. Right. Because like, and and for those last two and a half years, right. Like, you know, just before I left, I had, I had meetings about what's coming out two and a half, three years from now, because in order to pull off the things he's pulled off, he had to be able to cast a vision for the interconnected universe eight years in advance. And so sitting in those rooms where the highest levels of the organization, it's Bob Iger, it's like everybody where he's saying, all right, So, I think we get through Infinity War and it gives way to, but we got to plant a seed for Thanos way back here if it's going to pay off four years later. It's like there's something just genius in being able to see all of the Matrix and the way that if you want it to pay off, you got to start so early in understanding where it's going so that it actually exists to be paid off.
2: Dave, I I told
1: him to his face. Dave, I told
2: him to his face because the accountability of being on the radio for 20 years, there's audio of me going, it's never going to work, Marvel. Nobody's done this before. (laughs) You can't connect them. People get bored. I doubt you get to Thor. I think I said, I doubt you get to Thor. I looked at Kevin and said, Kevin, when you were on that stage looking like Steve Jobs with that little sweater in your hat and you're pointing at those things. I was like, I I straight up was like, it's not going to happen. Okay, and you proved us wrong over and oh, thank you for and and I can say that because I feel like I have to be open because I've lived my life very open and and uh, he's he's really a G. He's been so kind too, man, so yeah. freaking kind.
1: So he's he's good. He's so good, but that whole it's it's a family. There's a bit of a family feel because anyone totally. who's a part of the universe, there's an interconnected nature to each of the films and each of the series. Once you're in, you're in. You're part of that, man. Jeez. Uh, That's
2: right. Uh,
1: There it is right there. (laughs) Tell me me about what it is to be five hours a day on the air, on the radio. Because here's the thing. I'll just say, like, when I was growing up, I had a vision for what I was going to be. And it was going to either be the Dan Rather, Peter Jennings, you know, sitting behind the desk doing the news kind of a human, or it was going to be spinning the top 40 during drive time on, you know, a show like the one that you do. I ended up in college having a show. It was at 2 AM because that was the slot I could get, right. but I didn't care because I just, I was so interested in having a radio show that I was fine to have the middle of the night show a couple times a week. But I don't know, like I never, ever scr- kind of like itched scratched that itch. And it's always been a thing where I'm like, man. Would it have been, what? Would, what would life have been like if at you know twenty years old, twenty two years old, thirty? You you ended up inside of a studio. What's it like? Well, I wouldn't
2: have known any different if I if I didn't have a break in between my radio world. I started at seventeen. I was born Ooh. in New York, and I, I graduated just. I wasn't like smart. I was barely graduating, but I, my birthday f- fell there. So anyway, I got this internship at this radio station. I didn't know anything about radio my mom goes Carlos go apply there you got nothing else going on you did a TV production for four years see they, they're hiring an intern so I go up there I don't know nothing I'm I just got turned down from Pizza Hut okay so I go up there and I go sh- 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 are you hiring a production person no no no, no. they're not uh, not looking for it but they're looking for an intern I said okay yeah give me that so what do you I said and I, and I wrote down and I said hey I'll do anything I'll even mop the floors <laughs> like that and I turned it in and I forgot about it <laughs> and I'm at my friend's house and we're partying. And like, I get this call and it's, hello, this is Dave Green from Clear Channel Communications. And I'm like, I got a telemarketer here or something. I don't know. And and uh, he's like, I saw your application that you're willing to mop the floors. Are you ready for your bucket? And I'm like, what? And he's like, come on in. So I got this gig as an intern and I'm listening in Clear Channel Communications, which at the time is basically iHeart now. Yeah. And with zero love for radio, all love for TV, film, cartoons, all this stuff. And then I hear Howard Stern and I'm in Orlando and I'm like, oh my God, Howard Stern is in this building. He's Because he was on our station, the real radio station. I run down the hall, he ain't there, he's in New York. Of course. But but this other talk show was called The Monsters in the Morning, which was already well known. And the guy was like, hey, you want to be an intern? I was like, yeah, sure. And I kind of did my thing. And then I started cracking and joking and playing. And they were like, this kid's funny. And they hired me at 18 on a five-hour talk show that replaced Howard Stern. So if you can think of the caliber of Howard Stern in the early 2000s, that's what we were. And we kept his ratings and took it higher. So any bit of addiction, fame was fueled and zero self-help, zero this world of new age, you know, mindset. And so, man, it was a blast. But I <laughs> ran it into the ground. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Well I then, literally got fired. I, you literally got fired. You ultimately did the rebuild. We've talked about so many things, but we'll bring it full circle because we're running low on time. Tell me about the passion project. Oh, good.
2: Man, thank you for asking about this. I didn't realize when I came back, when, after I got fired, I came back. And they asked me to come back. I got fired because I wanted to act. And they came back and asked me to, and they weren't going to mess with my acting and and in a much better place mentally. And so at that point, I realized it's my mission, whether I knew it or not, to, to pass on the word that your passion is ultimately what has made me happy. Even though the tough times, I've always had my acting. I've always had this portion of me that was being fulfilled. So my anxiety was low. My stress was low. And I was able to keep going. So once I kind of finished with Marvel shooting that I knew I wanted to get my personal development brand and mission going. And that is follow your passions a smart way. Don't go all in. You people want to be an actor. Carlos, how do I be an actor? Well, there's a bunch of things. Oh, I got to, I got to pay my bills. I can't just give up my job. I never said to give up your job. Yeah. How do you think I had to give up all my jobs in order to have insurance for my family? So the passion project and basically all of my personal development is Focusing on your passions the smart way, and then still living your life and leaving that anxiety, and stress that has built up because you never even took your shot.
1: Mm. Take your shot to the top, never stop. <whistles> Ladies <whistles> and gentlemen, though, Carlos, uh, I really appreciate the time, man. This has been such a fun conversation. You are a good dude. With So many things that I feel like are connected in my story, your story, and we got a lot, we got a lot of story left to write. So I am excited to see every single thing that happens for you next. If, uh, if someone doesn't yet follow or is interested in understanding a bit more about you, your life, passion project, anything else, where do you send people on the internet? Oh man, thank you so much. I,
2: I couldn't agree more. I know we're gonna chat more uh even offline probably as well, because yep. uh we, we gotta we gotta connect minds for sure. And this has been a blast. This is really something I was looking forward to and it and it lived up to it. And um, you know what? I am CarlosNavarro.com. Pretty easy. Um, but like anything else, I'm very active on Instagram. Uh so that's to the top Carlos.
1: Oh, let's boom. go. See how I did that. Let's go. <laughs> I love it, man. All right. We ask every guest, there is a thing that someone who is listening right now needs to hear, and you, sir, are in the seat to deliver the thing that they need most, whether it's something to afford them some peace, a breakthrough, some encouragement to take a step forward inside of a stuck situation that they might find themselves in. What is the single piece of advice that you would leave with our listeners today? Don't give up on yourself. Don't give
2: up on yourself. Everyone can give up on you, but you can't give up on yourself. That's the only person you can't give up on. Because right before you're about to give
1: up, you're going to show up. It's going to be there. Come on now. That'll (laughs) preach. Thank you, Carlos, so much. (laughs) Thank you, bro. (laughs) I appreciate you for being here. Listeners, if you enjoyed this and how could you have not, do Carlos and myself a favor. Would you take a picture of this episode? Share it in your social media. Tag me, tag Carlos. Let us know what you got. And between now and next week, believe in yourself. We'll see you on the next episode of the Rise Together podcast. Carlos, thank you for being here, brother. Appreciate you.
2: Appreciate you. To the top, never stop.
1: To the top, never stop. Hey, y'all. While I am taking a hiatus from social media, I'd still love to stay connected to you on the regular. If you head over to mrdavehollis.com, I have an opportunity for us to become one-way pen pals. Yep, I'm gonna be sending out regular updates, uh, stories, uh, observations, hopefully things that will also make you laugh or think. uh, And I'd love to be able to do that on the reg. So if you uh, are so inclined, hit mrdavehollis.com drop in your email and buckle on up i love y'all thank you for all the continued support let's go